Well, good morning, and I'd like to welcome you all today. Yes, you're awake. It's really a privilege and a, and a great opportunity for me to share God's word with you this morning. It's something I don't take lightly. Whenever I get asked, I kind of go, okay, whew. But, but yeah, I am. I do enjoy it, so don't, don't freak out. Um, this morning, I, come, I was told I can preach on whatever you want, which is, which is really awkward when you've got the whole Bible to choose from. And I kind of think it's all, all important and all necessary. But I, I thought of sharing a verse on a verse that's had a large impact in my life growing up. And, and I just, on Monday, I received some news of a, a local pastor in East London who passed away, who I served with in ministry um, in, yeah, before, before moving up to Joburg. And no warning, nothing, passed away on Monday afternoon. And I just like, thought about it, and I'm like, sure. Like, he, had a, he had an impact in my life. Especially growing up, um, early days of ministry, you know, you always need someone who, who just pushes you and co- corrects you. And I think he was that person. And then I saw a Facebook post and it said this was his favorite verse. And I was like, okay, that's what I'm preaching on. Because I thought for me it's something that's impacted my life and it's just the, the impact he had on my life. So, so there's, two, there's two good reasons for it. So it's Hebrews 12 verse 1 and 2. You've probably, probably heard a few sermons on it. It's still really good. So if you want to turn there and we'll read from it. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and he's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's pray. Lord, just thank you for this day. Thank you that we are able to worship you. Lord, I just pray now that you'll speak to us through your word, that, that you'll make it relevant and, and impact our lives this morning. So I pray for this in your name. Amen. So, so there's two reasons why I find this verse important in my life. It's firstly, it's practical. It kind of gives you step by step what you need to do. Like you can't, you can't miss that. And secondly, it makes much of Jesus and his reputation. And the more I thought about this, I thought, you know, reputation is quite a big thing in our world. And the thing that like, really draws me to it is, is, the, is the most recent Toyota ad. You know, there's, there's the three little schoolboys sitting on the bench. And, you know, it's like my dad, my dad towed a bus up a hill. And then, you know, my dad towed a bigger bus up a hill. And like my dad towed a bigger bus up a hill with 15 cheetahs. That's probably why the teachers didn't play rugby yesterday, because they were still on the bus. <laughs> but, you know, there's, there's, it, promotes, it promotes reputation. You know, it's all about bigger is better. It's all about how well you can do. Another one that always jumps to mind is my, my favorite product I own is my iPhone. The sad reality is they release a new iPhone every year, and they probably don't change too much. They're unnoticed. You know, it's, except they take the headphone jack out, which we kind of need. But, you know, they, they change this thing every year. It's 5, 5S, 6, 6S, 7. Now they're going straight to the 8. And not much is changing. But except if you own a 5, everyone looks down on you because you don't have a 7. That's, that's the only thing that does change. So, so reputation is, is quite a big thing. But as we look at this passage, we see that as much is made of the unchanging reputation of Jesus. He's the Son of God who sits at the right hand of the throne in heaven. It's a position reserved for Jesus. No one else can take it. 
Sometimes I like to think that I'm well known. So if I walk through a shopping center, I always end up stopping and greeting someone and saying, you know, how are you doing? Mainly because they know me half the time. I don't really know their name, but you just got to be polite and, and continue the conversation. But I thought about this the other day. Like if, if you've ever done any flying like at an airport, I think the most torturous thing in the world is the slow, the, the slow lounge. You walk right past it. It's got these big glass windows that you can see in. But inside, there's nice chairs, there's coffee, there's free Wi-Fi, but you can't go in. And unless you have access, or unless you want to pay like 250 rand for an hour. But you, you can't get in there. And I kind of th thought, thought of it, this example. You know, if I walked up to the counter and said to the lady, do you know who I am? Our ch chances she'll respond and say no. And, and that's, I'll just have to turn around and walk away slightly embarrassed. But, but this, this, this whole book of Hebrews focuses on Jesus. And it's kind of, the point of it is, like if you ask the question, do you know who Jesus is? The, the answer in Hebrews is, this is who he is. It makes much of, it makes much of the supremacy of Christ. As, as you journey through the book, it, it focuses on Jesus being greater than Moses and, and Melchizedek and Ab Noah and, you know, the, the tabernacle and everything. So it's, it's focusing on who Christ is and, and making much of that. But secondly, it also shows us how we are to run our Christian race as a response of who Christ is, how we are to, to journey through life. So we're going to go through this passage phrase by phrase. There's a few key ones that jump out, and hopefully there's, there's some impact for you in your life today. So it starts off with, therefore, since you are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, and, and this jumps back to Hebrews 11. As you look at that passage, it talks about the heroes of the faith, those who, those who went before, people like Moses, Abraham, Abel, Noah. The author of the book tells us to look at them. They have set the example. They have gone before. They have run the race before us. They have set the example that we can follow. And they're called to be witnesses because they bear witness to us. Because they've gone before us, they've seen God's power, they've seen God's ability to deliver on His promises. The heroes of their faith bore witness to God on their time on earth. And, and I, I kind of read this passage often, and I get, in my mind I get caught up going, you know, these are the heroes of the faith. These are these great guys. You know, how does Mark live up to that standard? You know, how, how do I get there? But the truth of the matter is they, they were human like you and I. And I just thought about it quickly. You know, Noah, hero of the faith, once the, once the ark had settled on dry land, planted a crop, made wine, got drunk and passed out in his tent. Abraham, the, the, father, the father of the nations, took God's promise and, and tried to fulfill it himself and slept with his maidservant. Moses saw the suffering of the Israelites and murdered a man. You know, these are the people that we're talking about as heroes of the faith. And, and the truth that this comes out to you, the truth that this echoes is that not how great they are, but how great the God is that they serve. You know, it was, they bear witness to what God has done. They don't bear witness and say, follow me. It's like Paul says in Philippians, follow me as I follow Christ. It's not, it's, the point is not that we follow Paul, the point is that we follow Christ. And, and this is what it's saying, you know, follow Use them as, as examples because of what God had d done in their life. And, and this morning I was, I was encouraged with what Anna Marie shared because it, it's highlighted in my notes. 
that, that there's times when we, we, know, we, we know that God's doing stuff in your life, but you keep it to yourself. There, there's times when we, we, we know you have a story to share, but, but you keep it to yourself. And we need to bear witness to what God is doing in our lives. We need to bear witness to what is going on around us so that we can encourage those in the congregation. You bear witness to what God has done in your life. You set the example. You, you show us what God is doing. You encourage us by that. Secondly, it says, let us lay aside every weight. And the purpose of this task is that we can lighten our load, that we're able to, to run this race that is Christianity. And I think this is where it gets very practical for me because there's two like, key steps here. And I've been fortunate enough that I've done a couple of hikes in my life, not just like a day hike, but, but a five, four or five-day hike where, where you have to carry everything to fend for yourself. You know, there's the, the important rule, if you want it, you carry it. You know, I've, I've gone on hikes where guys have gone, oh, let's take a radio. I'm like, that's fine, you can carry it. My bag's heavy, I don't want more. And, and there's one vital piece of equipment that I don't think, it's the first thing that goes in my bag, is, is my hiking stove. If you've ever seen a hiking stove, it's a little 400 gram gas cylinder with a little cooker head that, that pops on top. And for me, this, this cooks my food and it boils water to make coffee, the two, two important things on any hike. But the truth of the matter is that that's not the only thing that will do that job. If I really wanted to, I could carry a scottle and a 4kg gas bottle. It, it, it cooks my food and it will boil water. So, so it's not about how well it does. The issue is, knowing me, it will probably end up like down the side of a cliff within the first kilometer. I don't need this. I'll just eat the food like cold and raw. Like, just get, you know, it, it, it slows us down. Like, if you're trying to do a hike with a 4kg gas bottle, you're not going to get very far. So, so it slows you down. And, and this is where the point, this is the point that the passage is making. And it's also important to note that it, it clearly separates things that hinder us and sin. There, there's, a, there's a clear distinction in this passage between the two. And at this point, you need to think about the things. What, what, will, what can you lay aside that are, that are hindering your relationship with God? What are some of the things that are slowing you down in your relationship with God? It's not that they are sin, but, but if we don't deal with them, they have a high possibility of becoming a sin. And, and for me, I just thought about some things that jumped into mind. Is TV becoming the all-consuming aspect of your life? Your cell phone. Does, does the battery die by like 2 o'clock in the afternoon? Is sleep more important than spending time with God? What areas of your life need to be readjusted in order to better run the race that God has called us to? And, and the truth is, yeah, that if you had to get practical on this point, I think it's going to require sitting down one-on-one because each of us live totally different lives. And, and there's no way I can stand here today and go, you know, you need to do this, this, and this to, to get a better outcome. But I, I encourage you to, to see what things you can remove, what things you can restrict access to, and other things that you need to set stricter boundaries on. Like, I'm not going to do this, I'd rather spend time with my family. Or, I'm not going to do this, I'd rather spend time with God. And then it, it moves on to the second practical step of, of the sin which clings so closely to us. And, and the NIV says that the sin that so easily entangles us. And, and this, this points out two important things, that, that none of us are not at danger of falling into sin. And, and secondly, we need to deal with sin. And, and whenever I think of this phrase, you know, sin that so easily entangles us, my first thought always jumps to fishing. 
And I don't go fishing often. My, my dad will tell you. Probably once or twice a year. But, but 90% of the time that I go fishing, this is my outcome. I, I wake up early. I get to the beach and it's like dark and cold. I walk out waist deep into water. I cast, do everything that I'm told to do. Walk back to the beach and pull out nylon out my wheel. <laughs> till about 9 o'clock in the morning. That, that's, that's, my, that's my fishing trip 90% of the time. And, and, you know, I do everything that I'm told, but that nylon still just bunches up, and I don't know, I think it's a conspiracy against me. <laughs> That's why I don't go fishing that often. <laughs> but, but, you know, this happens, and, and the more you pull to get that tangle out, the worse it gets. And, and then I often just pulls out scissors, I pull out scissors and cut it off, and then I don't have any nylon, so I can't fish anyway. But, you know, the more you pull, the worse, the worse it gets. And, and in my mind, I, I, I think of sin. And, and this is the same thing. When we try to deal with sin ourselves, it's like trying to deal with that nylon. You know, you, you're so focused on that one thing in front of you, even if you get it right, everything else around you still is, still is, is broken. You know, we, 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 we focus so, well, so hard on, on trying to fix one area of our lives ourselves that, that we can't, we forget about everything else. So, you know, I need to get this right but my relationship with my family falls apart. Or I need to fix the relationship with my family and, you know, work falls apart. Or however it is, you know, we get so focused on, on one thing. And the issue is that sin slows us down in our race because it redirects us from the purpose of God. And it's important as we, as we look at this passage that nowhere does it tell us that, that we need to deal with sin ourselves, which is an encouragement for me. It tells us our job is to, to remove the weight to, to get rid of those things that, that slow us down, those things that hinder us. But it's only Jesus who can remove sin. Through his death on the cross, that, that, that's the way we can remove it. Our job is, act, is to, to actively not pursue sin, but his job is to remove sin. And, it, and he's the only one who can do that. So as we look at the cross, I, I think of this, this illustration that, that the author uses of, you know, running this race. And I, and I see the cross in, in two senses, two senses, sense. Um, English, it's a weird language. Um, you know, the, the cross in, in, is, is firstly the, the start line. With, without the cross, without Jesus dying for sin as a whole, we can't even start the race. Because all we're going to do is we're going to try to fix it ourselves and we're not even going to get past the start line. But secondly, I also see the cross as, as a medical tent. You know, as you run in... Sometimes you or, or an hydration point in a race. You know, there's times where you need to stop, you need to refuel, and you need to carry on. And, and this is where we can get sin dealt with on an ongoing basis. So, so it's not that, like, the Bible never tells us that, that, you know, Jesus died for our sin once for all, and that's where, that's where we end. You know, it's, your sin is dealt with. It says, come back, repent, believe, continuously. It's an ongoing process that, that we need to continue to go back to the cross for, for forgiveness of sin. We need to actively pursue, not pursue sin, but when we do, know that we are forgiven from it. Finally, or not finally, the next point. Like, might end a bit early that way. The next point that jumps is, is we're told to run with endurance. The author of this, this passage describes us, one author describes us, Christianity as a marathon, not a sprint. You know, we, we're told that this is a, a long haul. I like to think of it as, a, as an ultra marathon. You know, I got to share once in, in my early days of, of preaching, 
I'm at Fairlands at an old age home. And some lady came up to you afterwards and said, you know, today, if I can remember correctly, like that was her 60th year of being a Christian. Like the day that I preached there. And, I'm kind of, and at that stage, I was like 22. So I was kind of going, okay, that's like three times as long as I've been alive. You've been a Christian. And, and she told me that, it, that that's, when she made that commitment, it was for the long haul. It's, it's not just a sprint. It's not just a one-sort thing. And the reason that we can run with endurance is because the passage tells us that, that Jesus endured the cross. You know, because of the cross, we, we have encouragement. We, we can continue. We can carry on even when we, we want to give up. So sticking with this idea of, of running the race, um, this year, end of last year, I've been doing some running. You know, it's, it's not going as well as it could, but, but it's happening. So, so the, weeks that I, the weeks that I run by myself, you know, being very, like, technological, you know, you have your app and you get your pace of how, how, how fast you're running a kilometer in. And I've worked this out. The weeks that I run alone, I run slower than the weeks I run with someone else. And, and, and for me, in my mind, I, I thought about this. And the reason is I'm able to endure more when I know somebody else is going through the same thing that I'm going through. You know, when, when you're running up that hill and you want to give up, the person next to you also wants to, wants to give up. But because you're both guys, you won't give up unless he gives up. So you just keep going. And you just keep running. And, and, and for me, I, I looked at this and I thought of Hebrews 4 verse 14 and 15 tells us that Jesus is our great high priest. He's able to sympathize with our weaknesses. Because he was tempted in every respect, yet was without sin. This means as we run our race, we, we know that it's, it's possible to be completed. Jesus has run before us. Um, we, we're, not, we're not going on a solo expedition here, but rather we, have run, we run a race with confidence knowing that he has gone before us. And secondly, we know that we're not running alone. Jesus tells his disciples before he leaves them that, that you're not going to be left alone, but I'm going to leave one who is like me a, comf- excuse me, a comforter and a guide. You know, we've been given the Holy Spirit as believers to lead and guide us, to strengthen us and encourage us. So as we go through this Christian walk, we, we know that we, we're not alone in, in the sense that we have the Holy Spirit leading us and guiding us. But also we know that we're not alone is in, in the sense that we run together as the body of Christ. It's not just Mark going out by himself or Rog going out by himself, but it's us going together. Together we, we push, we strive towards Christ. So as a church today, I encourage you to, to keep running this race together. Encourage one another, spur one another on when, when times get tough. And, second, and then we're told that this race is marked out for us. We see that Jesus was the forerunner to this race. He ran it and completed the, he completed the race and got the prize. It's, it's, it's great to know that, that God has established this race. He has marked out the course. He has planned the whole thing. It's not like you're going to get to a point and go, God's going to go, I'm not sure what, what happens next for you. But, but he's, got it, he's got it planned out. And he knows when you're going to struggle and we know, he knows when you're going to go well. He's got the whole thing in, in, in control, which, which for me is an encouragement that, that God's in control in all times and all situations. God works for the good of those he loves and calls according to his purpose. Sometimes you can't see what's going on. Sometimes you don't know what's going on. But we need to know that God's in control. So in this race, I thought about this. Sometimes God, 
God gives us the next marker to follow. You know, this is where you need to go. This is what you need to do and, and follow it. Other times he says, follow me, and, and we just need to follow. And sometimes you just keep following and following, and you're not sure what's happening next, but you just keep following. And there's other times that we sometimes feel like we lost, but, but God keeps saying, God says, keep doing what I told you to do. And an interesting story that, that jumped out is, is Mother Teresa when in probably the last two or three years of, of her ministry in, in India, someone said, you know, why, why are you still doing what you're doing? You've been doing it for so long. Like, why? And, and her response was that, you know, God, God hasn't called me to do anything different. Like, he called me to it, and he hasn't told me to stop. So I'm just going to keep going. And, and in that, as, as we follow God, our faith is built. You know, faith is built as we follow God. And sometimes I, I, you speak to people and you go, you know, wouldn't it just be great if, if God gave us the map? You know, here's, here's your life. This is what you're going to do for, for the rest of your life on earth. Every day you open it up, you know, this morning, wake up, eat breakfast, come to church, go home, like have Sunday lunch, afternoon nap, and yeah, whatever happens in the evening, watch Cot Blanche at 7. You know, that's, you know if, if that was your day, you know, next tomorrow you turned up, you, you read it, okay, cool, I get to sleep in 15, 15 minutes earlier because I'm going to oversleep. You know, then I'm going to go to work, and then my boss is going to shout at me. You know, like, if this was your day planned out for you, if God just gave that to us, I think the issue with that is our faith wouldn't be in God. It would be in the map. You know, our faith would be in that little book. You know, I'm so reliant on what that says, I don't really care about God. But, but God says, follow me, trust me. And, and even when it gets difficult, keep following me, keep trusting me. And, and as, as we look at this race, there's one thing that's not clearly stated in this passage but, but it's true, is that the finish line has been set and it doesn't change. The finish line is heaven. As we run our race to completion, we, we will be with Jesus in, in perfection. We will not struggle with sin. There will be no hindrances that slow us down. But we will spend eternity with Christ worshiping. We, 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 we'll still be in the race to, to worship Him, but we won't, we won't struggle in our race. Our desire will still be to worship Him. But as, as we wrap up today, we're told to look towards Jesus, look towards His example. And as I said, you know, in the beginning, we, we make much of reputation, and, and Jesus has a reputation to, to put our trust in. It says, firstly, it says that Jesus is the author and perfecter of faith. And, and those, those two words for us sometimes may seem like distant. You know, author, we think of someone who wrote a book, and, and perfecter, you know, we're not too sure what perfect really is because because we can't we can't really live up to it. But it tells us that author Jesus Jesus is the leader or the pioneer of faith. And the easiest way to see this is is that Jesus has opened the way to heaven. He's the great high priest who is able to cleanse us from sin. So so as we look at the Old Testament, we we see the high priest was the one who who represented God to the or the nation to God. It was his job to to, to lead the people towards God. But the issue was that the high priest needed to sacrifice for his own sin before he could stand before the nation and represent them. And it tells us that Jesus is our great high priest, the one who is without sin, the one who presents us before God, blameless and faultless. W without him, we wouldn't have salvation. He's the leader. He's the pioneer. Because of him, we can, we can do it. 
And secondly, it tells us that he's the perfecter of faith. Jesus is fully competent. In, in, in Revelation 5, it, there's kind of a little bit of a scene that goes on. And who, who is worthy to open the scrolls? You know, who is worthy to do this? And there appears Jesus and he opens the scrolls. And, and he is the one who is worthy to open the scrolls of salvation. Simply put, as I said, without Jesus, there would be no salvation. He's the one who leads us as we go on this journey. And secondly, as we, as we wrap up and, and head into communion from here, it, it, it says, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Because, of, because it was a, it, this, it blows my mind when you read that passage, For the joy set before him, endured the cross. It was joy because it, was, it wasn't a task of obedience. It wasn't a, he didn't think it was just a good idea, but it was, it was what he was called to do. And in my mind, I try to think, you know, how does this work for us? Or, or how does this, this, this fit? So I thought about it in this sense. You know, Mark, with the joy set before him, went to the dentist. Okay, Mark, with the joy set before him, did a load of ironing. Okay, okay, I can guarantee you I've never done any of those things with joy. Mainly with fear and complaining, I'll let you decide which one goes where. But, but that's, that's the, like, it, it's, it seems so distant from us. But it was joy because it was done out of obedience. It, he went to the cross to, to die for your and my sin. And the contrast to the, the brutality of the cross is something that's not to be overlooked. It was joy to suffer in a form of torture that resulted in death 100% of the time. That, that's, that's what Jesus endured. But Jesus, knowing, but Jesus, knowing that there was a greater purpose, endured the pain and suffering so that he could pay for our debt in full. Jesus' death fully covers our debt of sin for, for eternity. It's, it's not that it, there's anything else you need. It's not Jesus plus, but it's, it's Jesus alone. Jesus despised the shame of the cross. Simply means that he didn't allow the shame of, of a, a punishment that was, was fit for a criminal to divert him from his task of being the author and perfecter of faith. And as we wrap up, we see that there's a, there's a major contrast here. In, in the suffering of the cross, which, cross, which was temp temporary, it, it was for a short time, but ends in victory, where Jesus is seated at the right hand of God in heaven for eternity. That is permanent. And, and that is the God that we, we worship. That is the God who, who we rely on for salvation. The one who sits at the right hand of God the Father in heaven. Forever. Permanently. He, he won't change. So as we celebrate communion today, we're reminded to, to look at Jesus. You know, this, this is the point of communion. that it's, 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 we, we remember what Christ has done. And, and as Matt said this morning in prayer meeting, and, and I thought, you know, I need, us, I need to share this, that, that he's the one who's gone before us, and, and we share in his, his, his body and his blood. You know, because of, because of him, we, we can even come before, to the table today. His death on the cross means that we can share eternity with him. It, this is the joy that we hold on to as, as we run this race.